0: wanted to mention to the congregation that a, uh, a member who moved away some years ago but was a huge part of covenant uh, went home to be with the Lord. You may remember some of you Alberta Gross and there will be a graveside service for her this Saturday at Pinecrest uh, just for the family but I wanted to let you know about that for those who remember Alberta and Martin and the, just how how wonderful they were to have as part of our church family. Now we praise the Lord that that she is with the Lord in heaven. Let us pray. Father, we do pray for Alberta's family. We pray for Joe and Kathy and uh, for the other uh, family members that you would uh, comfort them in grief. We especially thank you for uh, Joe and Kathy's care for Alberta over these years in Virginia. And so, Father, we pray even now that the graveside service would be a blessing to the family, that it would be a comfort to the family, and that it would be a a time to honor and praise you for Alberta's life. And now, Father, we turn to this passage of Scripture today, as Pastor Derek mentioned, a, a difficult passage, a sobering passage, a passage that has gruesome elements to us, and we can get caught up in all of that. But Father show us that this passage is about John's suffering that points us to Jesus's suffering that encourages us to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as a redeemer and so give me wisdom give us ears to hear bless the preaching of your word in Christ's name amen. So turn to Mark chapter 6 beginning with verse 14 as I read. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and the military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to her, said to the girl, ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Maybe you have had the unfortunate experience of forgetting someone's name. At one time in the past, I was out having lunch with another man at a local restaurant, and I noticed that there were two ladies sitting at a table, and I knew them, but I just could not think of their name, nor could I think of the place where I knew them. Was it Little Rock Christian? Was it uh, some other ministry here in town or a friend of Renee's? And so we finished our lunch, and after paying the bill, I walked out to my car, and would you believe those two ladies were standing right by my car? <laughs> it's a situation that it was pretty clear I could not avoid these two ladies, so I went up, and I greeted them, and I said, Hello, Jenny, to one of the ladies, and she said, You mean Diane? Diane? And we laughed about it. Obviously, I was busted. They knew (laughs) that I had forgotten their names. And that was somewhat of an innocent mistake that probably so many of us have made. But in our text today, Herod's misidentification of both John and Jesus was not as harmless as mine. His had eternal consequences. His guilt over violating God's law in marrying Herodias and his guilt over beheading John whom he feared should have led him to humble confession of sin and repentance, but it didn't. We see that Herod's heart actually became more hardened in unbelief and the story does not turn out well for Herod. This passage has eternal consequences for all of Jesus' disciples, like you and me. And I suggest that Mark's focus is not on Herod's hard heart, nor his condemnation, nor even this bizarre birthday party with the dancing daughter. I believe Mark seeks to strengthen the disciples' faith and to bolster their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah who would suffer for the redemption of God's people. And for this purpose, Mark focuses on John, John the Baptist, who suffered as the promised messenger to prepare the way for Messiah. We will consider three things hearing about Jesus's power and fame, false beliefs about Jesus's identity, and the correct understanding of John's suffering. So, this passage is very much about suffering to encourage faith. First, hearing about Jesus' His power, his fame. Look at verse 14. The text says that Herod heard of it. He heard about Jesus' name. Jesus' name had become renowned. I often find I need to pump the brakes on a story that I'm telling to add a comment. Think of it as kind of a, a parenthesis. I will stop and put a parenthesis there and give a comment for the purpose of maybe. Uh, helping someone understand in a deeper way what my story is all about, or giving some context, and then I close the parenthesis, and then I go on with my story. These parenthetical remarks that I often use, you've probably used, that I believe Mark is using here, is are designed to help someone have a deeper understanding of of, of the story or a better context to the story. And so look at the transition between verses 13 and 14. It's weird. Seems out of place. Mark was talking about the 12, and then suddenly he brings up the past. King King Herod's confusion over John and Jesus, his wicked birthday party, and then his order to have John beheaded. Mark's account does not appear, however to be out of place if we understand verses 14 through 29 as being in parentheses, a parenthetical comment. John's purpose is is to help his reader have a deeper understanding of John's vocation as the messenger and Jesus's vocation as Messiah. Jesus' fame and popularity had spread. It is not surprising at all that Herod would have heard an accurate account of Jesus' ministry thus far from chapters 1 through chapter 6 and verse 13. Herod likely was familiar with accounts about Jesus performing miraculous healings, casting out Demons exercising control over nature like the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee. And speaking about parables, or speaking in parables, about the growth of the kingdom. Herod probably heard these accounts. You know, many hear the wrong facts about Jesus in our day and it makes sense that if you hear the wrong facts about jesus you are going to come to the wrong conclusions about jesus right you're going to get jesus wrong but the interesting thing about this passage of scripture is that one can even hear accurate accounts about jesus and still get jesus wrong as herod shows And we need not look any further than church history to prove that people get Jesus wrong. People who read the Bible get Jesus wrong. Think about the heresies that developed in the early church and, by the way, that continue in our day. Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, and Mormonism are two of those heresies with ancient roots in the 4th century. We need not look any further than our current moment in our day when some Christians who would claim to be believers and would take the Bible and read it and read the same accounts of Jesus that we read, but they come to radically different conclusions about biblical truth and about Jesus. For example... They may read the Bible and come to the conclusion that the Bible supports same-sex marriage. Their false views about Jesus oftentimes make him hardly identifiable to us who are Bible-believing Christians and read the Bible and understand Jesus rightly according to the scriptures. Their distorted and even heretical views of Jesus would have him not only be present at a same-sex wedding but officiating it one can hear true facts about Jesus and get Jesus very very wrong how did Herod get Jesus wrong how do how might people in our day get Jesus wrong It might be a good question for us to ask ourselves in light of Herod hearing the facts about Jesus and still getting Jesus wrong. Not being able to connect Jesus' works that were clear with Jesus' words about who he is. There's a disconnect there with Herod. And maybe there's a disconnect there with you. As you read the works of Jesus in the Bible and you read the words of Jesus about himself in the Bible... And you come to a very different understanding of who Jesus is, a disconnect between his works and his word. Well, Herod had that disconnect. Look at verses 15 through 16. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like the one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, no, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. One reason Herod got Jesus wrong is because Herod also got John wrong. Mark records three opinions about Jesus' identity that were obviously part of the common discourse of the day. It's interesting that that later in Mark, Jesus was asked by his disciples in chapter 8, who do people say that I am? And Jesus answered, or, and the disciples answered, and, and they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter gives the right answer. Peter said, you are the Christ. You are Messiah. In our text today, one of these groups believed that that Jesus was John the Baptist who had been restored, who had been raised, who had been brought back to life. And there are two problems with this view, just probably more than two, but I'll just mention two. The the Bible records no miracles that were performed by John the Baptist. So this association between Jesus' miracles and John now performing miracles, again, it seems to be a disconnect unless John died and wherever John went, somehow or another, he was able to get power to do miracles and he came back with that power. It seems absurd, puzzling. And the second reason is that jesus and john were contemporaries jesus began his ministry after john was arrested mark 1 chapter 14 and so again it's it doesn't make any sense to say that jesus now is somehow the the john the baptist come back to life as if jesus succeeded john it doesn't make any sense And the third group seemed to be unwilling to commit to a specific identity and just said, hey, he's just one of the Old Testament prophets, probably appealing to Deuteronomy 18. But then Herod chimes in and says, verse 16, no, I'm going to go with the resurrected John the Baptist option. That's who I believe Jesus is. And Mark then then inserts this this account of, of Herod's little wicked birthday party that took place earlier to explain why Herod chose this option. First of all, I need to ask the question, who was King Herod? He was known as Antipas, Herod Antipas. He was the seventh son of Herod the Great. And he served as a tetrarch. A tetrarch was just simply an administrator, somewhat of a governor of a fourth part of a country. And he served on behalf of Rome. So he was under Rome. And uh, Herod Antipas ruled Galilee and Perea from 4 AD to 39 AD. And Mark follows the convention of the day addressing Herod as king. And certainly Herod self-identified as a king. He would check that box on the card. Who are you? Uh, Male, king. King. He certainly aspired to rule with complete sovereignty, but Herod was not actually or technically a king. He was a tetrarch, an administrator. He even sought the title king from Rome and Rome rejected him. So he was a bit deflated. But the background to our passage involved Herodias or Herod Antipas's marriage to Herodias. And she married her half brother, Herod Philip, another son of Herod the Great from another mother, than Herod Antipas and Herodias left Herod Philip to have an adulterous relationship with Herod Antipas and eventually married him while, her, while Herod's brother Herod Philip was still alive. I mean there's a real soap opera going on here and it just points to the wickedness that characterized the Herodian dynasty and then comes along John And one incredible lesson that we learn about John is this. John stands as an example of God's people, especially God's leaders, elders and deacons, speaking truth to power. Herodias held a grudge against John. Why? Because John condemned publicly Herod, Antipas, and Herodias' marriage. He declared it immoral. Even though Herod wasn't a Jew, he declared this marriage against the very moral law of God and spoke out about it. So Herodias had a real grudge against John, and she wanted to put him to death. But she had a problem and her problem was Herod Antipas her husband or second husband or whatever he was because the text tells us that that Herod respected John he acknowledged John as a righteous man probably meaning an innocent man now Herod is somewhat an enigma to me at least and verse 20 tells us that Herod heard John gladly come on John speak to me i, I want to hear what you have to say and at the same time Herod was perplexed over John. And I think we might want to understand Herod being perplexed as Herod feeling the weight of his guilt. An unlawful, immoral marriage. And now putting an innocent man to death because he didn't want to lose face at his birthday party with all the important guests that have been gathered to celebrate him. It's interesting that we go all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 14 and we find that, that Herod had arrested John. And the text seems to indicate that Herod arrested John to keep John safe from his wicked wife Herodias. That's just how dysfunctional that family was. Herodias, however, took full advantage of, of Herod's birthday party. Herod found himself literally boxed in a corner due to his own pride. Look at verses 21 through 28. It recounts the particulars of this party. I'm not going to go into great detail. You can read it again for yourself. But Herodias' daughter danced for Herod and the guest. And obviously, this dance was, can only be described as exotic, maybe sensual. Because it pleased Herod, it pleased the men who were the ones allowed into the party, and Herod was so pleased that that he granted her anything up to half of his kingdom, even though, even though he wasn't a king. So Herodias couldn't go to the party, but her daughter told, went and told her mother what Herod had promised. And what should I request mom and of course Herodias said request the head of John the Baptist I've been waiting for the day to get this guy and sure enough the daughter goes back and requests John's head to be brought out on a platter the platter part likely was an invention of this daughter Herod ordered it. John was beheaded and the head arrived on a platter and presented to Herodias. Most likely Herod had a great deal of guilt over John's beheading and so when he was faced with the question of Jesus's identity instead of rightly matching what Jesus had said about himself that likely Herod knew at least some of that and what Herod knew about Jesus's works, he did not connect them. Jesus's work should have been enough evidence to prove what Jesus claimed about himself to be the Messiah. But Herod simply didn't consider any of that. And he chose one of the three commonly held human options. He identified Jesus as John the Baptist raised from the dead. And maybe Herod thought this was some perverted sense of justice, like, well, I had this innocent guy beheaded. I guess I deserve for him to come back and torment me. Though Herod had heard about Jesus, he allowed subjective feelings, he allowed emotions, he allowed guilt to overrule the facts he had heard. And he just simply explained Jesus away. In the face of the truth about Jesus as given in the Bible, so many today, in the spirit of Herod, I would suggest, base decisions about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, Jesus' identity, not on the biblical facts, but on human reason, on emotions, on sentiment, on feelings, on guilt, not on the objective truth of Scripture, the Bible. It comes down to this, for those without the spiritual eyes and ears to see and hear the biblical facts about Jesus rightly presented in the scriptures, Jesus will always be explained away by them. He will be explained away by people who say, yeah, Jesus is the best representation of humanity. Jesus is the best example for us. the, to follow. Jesus is the best teacher that has ever taught. Jesus is John restored. Without the work of God the Holy Spirit, one will always get John wrong and one will always get Jesus wrong and not be able to identify Jesus as the Messiah, as the Redeemer, as the Savior of God's people the scriptural testimony about Jesus can be glaring as and printed in large letters and as plain as a giant billboard message and without the Holy Spirit people will get Jesus wrong now let's come to the correct understanding of John's suffering. Look at uh, verse 17 and look at verses 27 through 28. For it was Herod who sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. And immediately the king sent an executioner, With orders to bring John's head, he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. So who was John? Some of the people wrongly identified Jesus with John, and others wrongly identified Jesus with Elijah, but scripture teaches something different. Scripture identifies John with the promised Elijah-like messenger who would come first to restore all things by preparing the way for Messiah and the messianic reign. Earlier in this series, we focused on John's mission. What was John's mission? It was to be the forerunner of Christ is a common way his mission is described. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, God promises a messenger who will prepare the way for Messiah. And John himself affirms this. In Mark chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, John preached, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's role in redemptive history was to point to Jesus as Messiah. And Jesus said this in Luke chapter 1 verse 17. And he will go before him, that is John will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Later in Mark, in the account of the Transfiguration, Jesus is coming down the mountain with his disciples. And his disciples asked Jesus a question. And here's the question in Mark 9, verse 11. Why do scribes say that first Elijah must come? This is Jesus's answer. And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is is written. And what's interesting about this text is that Jesus links his suffering and, uh, and John's suffering together. Listen, this text that we've read about this beheading, it is about suffering. Suffering for God's people to have confidence In Jesus. Dan read from Malachi 4 earlier, the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of Malachi, the last words of the Old Testament. And in verse 5, although verse 5 is not the last verse, verse 6 is, but the prophet says this, behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. All of these scriptures that I have read, including the scripture Dan read from Malachi 4, support the reason for Mark including this parenthetical comment this this account from verse 14 to 29 interspersed between the story about the 12 disciples and the feeding of the 5000 it's about suffering it's about John's suffering and it points to John being identified with Elijah especially identified with Elijah's suffering A wicked king and a wicked wife of a wicked king. Does that sound familiar to us? It should. If we go to 1 Kings and we read the story of the prophet Elijah who sought to lead the people of God to repentance and renewal, but he suffered. How did he suffer? He suffered at the hand of wicked king Ahab and the equally wicked, if not more so, queen wife of the king Jezebel just read 1 Kings 18 and 19 you see suffering identified John with Elijah and John's suffering shows that he is that Elijah like messenger God promised to send to restore all things by preparing the way for the ultimate restorer Messiah, Jesus. Mark 9.13 and Malachi 4.5 show this. And I suggest we see this passage being primarily about John's suffering to serve as proof of his role in redemptive history as the anticipated messenger in the spirit of Elijah who must come first to prepare the way for Jesus. This focus on John's vocation as the messenger and suffering should strengthen our faith and confidence because he pointed to the one to come after him who is greater Jesus by the way who also suffered for the redemption of God's people the renowned Artist Paul Gustav Dorr, he lived 1821 to 1883, lost his passport while traveling around in Europe. And when he came to a border crossing, of course, the border guard asked for his passport to allow him passage. And so Dorr thought, oh, this everybody knows who I am. I'm just so famous. And so Dorr gave him his name and explained his predicament to him and said, hey, I. I know you recognize me, so you know know who I am, just just letting me go through. And the border guard said, I'm not going to let you go through. You don't know how many people come to this border crossing claiming to be somebody that they're not, trying to get me to let them through. I'm not letting you through. And so Dorr insisted he was the man he claimed to be. And so the, the official there at the border said, all right, here's a piece of paper. Here's a pen. See those peasants over there? Draw me a picture And so Dorr took the painting, drew the picture very quickly, gave it to the guard. The guard said, you can pass. (laughs) Beautiful depiction of those peasants. His work confirmed his word. John's work of suffering confirmed his vocation as the anticipated Elijah-like figure sent from God that eschatological messenger to prepare the way for Messiah if John were asked to depict a picture that would prove who uh, who he was what would he draw a headless prophet Jesus's work of suffering confirmed his vocation as the restorer of all things to which John pointed. If Jesus were asked to depict a picture that would prove who he claimed to be, what would he draw? He would draw an empty cross, an empty tomb, and he's already given us this picture, the table that is set before us, with two elements on it, the bread and the wine John and Jesus suffering encourages us to put our faith and trust in the one the suffering John pointed to put our faith and trust in the one the suffering Messiah who won salvation for you and me May the suffering of John encourage us to embrace Jesus by faith. May Jesus' suffering convince us his body given and his blood shed restores all things even restoring rebellious sinners like you and me to God and making us sons and daughters as we read from Galatians. As we stand on the scriptures may we never be confused about Jesus' identity. John's and Jesus' suffering should strengthen our faith in Jesus, the Restorer, the Redeemer, the only mediator between God and man, our Savior. Let us pray. Father, we come before you asking, oh God, for you to strengthen our faith even as we come now to your table. Bless us, we pray, and give us a sense of your suffering on our behalf that our faith might be enlivened for you and we pray and ask this in Jesus name amen